Walk Show podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode, we're joined by Misha Zarens, the musician and producer of The Walk Show. Uh, we actually get together to talk about stand-up comedy. It's something that's really important to, to both of us, and we kind of wanted to talk about just different comedians that have had an impact on us and kind of talk about the significance of you know comedy at large and, and what defines stand-up. Uh, we had a ton of fun recording the episode, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. As always, today's show is produced by Misha Zarens as well as the music. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Today, uh, we've got as a guest my dear friend, uh, also the producer, musician, and artist for the show, Misha Zarens. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, so, yeah, today we're going to talk about some stand-up comedy. Um, people who have known me for a long time probably know that I have dabbled in stand-up a time or two throughout my life when I was... 20, 19, 20, I started it for the first time and did some open mics and pretty quickly was given the opportunity to be the MC at a, Sir, a local comedy club called Sir Laugh-A-Lot. Um, and basically they had they had an open mic and then a show with two professional comics on Thursday. And then on Friday and Saturday, those professional comics did two separate shows each night. So a total of five shows Six, if you include the open mic, is what I got to do each weekend. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and it was a really cool opportunity. I wasn't old enough to drink, so I was just would just suck down black and mild cigars because I was so nervous all the time and couldn't take the edge <laughs> off, you know, because I could only have soda. Um, but, yeah, so stand-up has just been something that, for me, has been a really important thing in in my life for a long time, but it's interesting to me how my relationship with it's changed. Um, most recently, I did stand up a few times, and I think maybe now four years ago, five years ago, um, and it was interesting. I hoped that what it would be was that it would be this like epiphany moment where I would get back on stage and get behind the mic and be like, oh my God, I haven't done this in 10 years and this is what I've been missing. And it was not that experience. I didn't hate it or something, but the truth is, is once I was at 30, uh, I, I just don't really care to go to bars and hang out for four hours and listen to 10 other open micers go. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, bullshit you got to put up with to get through to do what you need to do. I mean, and to be clear, it's hanging out at a bar. So it's not like, it's not, it's not like I have to go like, mine you know coal or something for three no, hours you know it's I mean? not where you want to be right you know yeah it's, it's just a job it, yeah like, it, i could it, rather be home than doing you know whatever i want right right um but anyway so yeah so comedy though stand-up specifically has been something that i again personally have dabbled in and tried and, and done and actually the last time i did it i was paid <laughs> to open for this band so the only time I've been paid so that I could say it was professional comic. I say it makes you a professional comic. So that's yeah. pretty cool. You were so, actually a professional comic. Yeah. yeah. So we have a stand-up comedian on the show today, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, professional. And it's me. It's nice. Just to be clear. Nice. I'll decide what's funny. <laughs> that today's episode is Misha's going to bring up topics and then I'll rule whether or not it's worth talking maybe about. Maybe it should be your tagline, just in general. <laughs> no, I'll decide what's funny. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, right. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so we wanted to just kind of talk about it's something that that's been a huge influence for both of us. Yeah, and really, definitely. people who don't know Misha and me's relationship—that's really kind of 
not just stand up, but comedy specifically, you know, more so broader comedy is really how we became friends. Um, and honestly, that's how I get most of my friends is I, I think that something's funny with them. (laughs) Yeah. So, but anyway, so our first relationship, the way that we met was in high school and we walked home from the same high school and we went during the same path or along the same path, going to our respective homes. He went a little bit farther than my house, but I was going the same direction. And I think we saw each other a few times and then eventually like we just kind of saw each other enough that it was like we should just talk. Well, we had class together, too. We had a couple classes together. Was that before or after? I'm pretty sure it was at the okay. same time. I just remember like we really bonded and clicked on talking about how ridiculous things like Smurfs and the snorks scooby-doo the scooby-doo we would just kind of make fun about how ridiculous and silly they were well and, and how why. obvious drug references they are yeah right you know? and how who came up with the premise right like, what were they doing to come up with a guy them, lives you know? in a forest where he takes magical potions and sees little blue people that are trying to undermine it right and our that, 14 year old 15 year old minds thought that that was like hilarious yes. i love that like yeah that yeah. was like Okay, this will be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. So what what would you say is the, you know, maybe the one of the earliest, doesn't have to be the first, but one of your earliest memories of stand-up? Like, what's one of the earliest stand-up acts you remember? Uh, I don't know, honestly. I mean, I remember watching, like, Richard Pryor. I remember watching, like, wow. Bill Cosby. Uh, those were kind of, like, played in background. I was kind of privileged when I was a kid and my parents had HBO and Cinemax and Showtime collectively all three at one point that faded away because I eventually they figured out what the bill was going to be and they're like yeah fuck that we're shutting that down <laughs> but there was a time period where we had all three and I remember watching those but the definite definitive one that like set the tone for me wanting to be like yes I love comedy yes this is like all then was Dave Chappelle half hour special on HBO oh wow yeah, and that's that like ninety nine, maybe ninety eight. I was gonna say I was probably fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, Seaman Bandit struck again. Like I actually played that episode for, on a bit for my fiance Bridget the other day because I, I randomly throughout my life make references to Chappelle's show and to Chappelle's stand up because I love it so much that his bit about the crack landlord, the landlord addicted to crack like still makes me smile. I'm smiling right now because I love it so much. You got the rent? Come on, I need it. <laughs> well, I'll come back tomorrow. I love it more. Come yeah. Back to the rent. Like it's just the whole bit. Like I just love it. Like yeah. and that really did like I could watch that. I taped it. Taped it VHS. Like for those of you that are old enough to understand, like taped it. Watched it religiously, still laughed about it, still to this day laugh about yeah. it. So, definitely a huge influence. But I grew up with Seinfeld, so like I guess you could say that like Seinfeld too was largely like a huge influence. But that wasn't like a stand-up special, stand-up special beginning to finish. So yeah. So I would say I would say yes, yeah, Seinfeld. I mean, I grew up watching Seinfeld. In fact, it, it strangely I um, as a, as a young kid. I mean, from like I don't know. There's probably a four or five year period. That was like the golden age of Seinfeld and NBC comedy, sitcom, comedy TV. But I built an entire like weekly routine of television watching of which Seinfeld was the keystone. So like Seinfeld came on Thursday nights at eight o'clock. Right. 
And so I would, and Friends came on before that. Yeah. And right. I think Frasier maybe was after it. Right. Just a golden age. I'd actually, I think Frasier was on Tuesdays now that I say, now that I walk through it. But either way. Crazy you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, I, 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 and I, the whole, what ended up happening was because I wanted to watch Seinfeld, it ended up that I just kind of plugged myself into watching sitcoms all throughout the week. So, you know, Will and Grace and Grace Under Fire and, yeah, I mean, right, just right. tons of those. Well, and yeah, I guess shit, I mean, really like comedy albums were something that I did listen to a lot oh. too. Like Adam Sandler, mm. What the Hell Happened to Me? And, um, why are you laughing at me? Yeah. Maybe is one of the other ones that he's listened to. Like, I really did like comedy albums a lot. So I did listen to those, those two exclusively. And like Drew Carey was another one, you know, 12, 13. That was like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore era. Yeah. Yeah. I never was really into Adam Sandler. Never really did comedy albums. Um, but yeah, so Seinfeld was, was anyway, I was talking about all the other shows. Seinfeld was the, again, the keystone of it. And once Seinfeld went off the air, which was, I believe when I was in eighth grade was when the season, fin the series finale of Seinfeld occurred. And I just stopped watching TV at that point. I just, like, all of it. Like, not just Thursdays. Damn. All of it I unplugged because that's why that's why I call it the Keystone because it was literally like, that's what mattered. And then once that went away, I didn't really care anymore. He gone. Yeah, he gone. But, <laughs> um, but, but as far as stand-up, uh, as a stand-up, the, the most impactful stand-up special I remember the earliest I should say at least um, which I never saw prior I never saw Robin Williams I never saw Eddie Murphy I mean I have now yeah. later as an adult but I, as right. a kid I didn't um, but anyway it was Chris Rock's Bring the Pain which is either 95 or 96 yeah I remember that one yeah yeah and right. that was that was the most didn't like it yeah. oh man I loved it it was the most influential stand-up was act. that the one where he talks about bullet control I can't Probably, remember. yeah. That bit is just like absolute genius. He also I does the. He also bit. has the bit there about how like, uh, in in the hood, coming out of jail is more respectable than coming out of college. So if you come out of college, like, oh, you're the smart one now, huh? Oh, you're the smart one now, huh? <laughs> Which is actually just the bit that Michael Scott redoes. In the office in episode yes. one of season one or episode two, and they have right. to have the diversity training. Yeah, right. That's the that's the bit he's referencing. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it, yeah, it was just it it was it was mind altering for me that Chris Rock bit. Like I just absolutely adored it and watched it all the time. We had HBO. I remember a lot of people liking it. Yeah, and I I got to. Um, I got to watch Def Comedy Jam a lot because we yeah. had HBO. Okay, yeah. So, so like, that was, yeah, definitely like a huge impact because I did watch a lot of Def Martin Comedy Lawrence, Jam. Joe yeah, Torrey, Guy right. Torrey. Right, right. So I actually just found out literally within the last two months that Joe and Guy Torrey are brothers. <laughs> literally thought it was the same guy who they just sometimes called Joe and sometimes <laughs> called Guy <laughs> until one month ago. And I was like, what, really? It's two guys? Huh. It makes sense because I always uh, wondered why they didn't call him the same name consistently. And one of them is like a little bit bigger or whatever, you know, but I just. <laughs> but I haven't seen that guy since I was eight. You know yeah, what I mean? Right, so, right, right. Well, you don't know until you know. You know but like, yeah, but yeah, like, Joe and Guy Torrey. So two long people. later yeah. to find out. But yeah, so I would say I would say that Chris Rock bit. Now, I actually didn't really like the the follow up specials that he had to that. I, he had a second and a third one that came after that I. Like the second one was bigger and blacker, and then the third one I don't even remember what it was called, but I wasn't into either of those in the same way. 
Bring the Pain was... What's the last one that he released? Um, well, he just released one like two years ago, yeah, a year yeah, ago, called like, like Tambourine, I think. I watched that one. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah, I liked it. The thing that I didn't like about Chris Rock is that he, like, his approach and his, like, mannerisms, I just didn't like. It was very obnoxious to me. Oh, I love it. The material it. was very hard for me to get to because his mannerisms were like, you know, that, and then, that, that. It's just like it always seemed very like choppy and very like in your front, yeah. and in your face, and I just I don't really identify with that kind of comedy. Like I didn't, I'm not a big Sam Kennison fan where it's oh, just yeah. like blam in your face, take it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like it kind of I like mellow build into like slow, you know. Progression. Yeah, yeah. Chris Rock to me, uh, he he doesn't he has a really interesting way of of just over and over again saying a premise. And the premise almost becoming like the punchline, like that repeated premise over and over again turns right. into the punchline. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so after that, I would say that the probably the next most influential one though would be Dave Chappelle killing them softly. Yeah. I would say largely. I I don't know of another stand-up that I actually know more than that. Yeah. And I actually have watched it so much that if you actually put a gun to my head right now, I could probably recite it word for word because I've watched it that much. Yeah. Like I can pick out bits still and like reference it. And the last time I saw it was like 10 years ago, but I taped it again and I watched it so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, bitch, I live in a fucking trash can. Like, Jesus. Like, yeah, the Oscar so the Grouch bit, man. The whole Sesame Street routine he does is yeah, just incredible. Right. It's right. so good. Yeah, well, and we got to see him when we were juniors or seniors in high school. He came and performed at MSU here. Yeah. That was, saw oh, that. my God. That was and so it was all crazy. different material. It wasn't material yeah, we'd seen in the, in right. the set before. When he came out on stage immediately and acted like it was a prison light that was, like, searching for him, like he was breaking out of jail or yeah. something. He was, like, running from it. Dodging the spotlight. Laughing yep. super hard. Oh, my God. That was so great. Yeah. And then but, I got to see him again, like, uh, two years ago, I think, here in Springfield. Or... Were you with me in backstage when we met him? No, no. Oh, yeah. So I didn't meet him. Like, he didn't care. He didn't know who it was. And yeah, you just got something autographed or something. I like got that. something autographed. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Man, I was still yeah. to this day, I'm still, like, super excited about it. It's like, shit. Right. He has no idea sure. how much I love him across yeah. all things incorporating in life. Like, uh, just yeah, he's... Amazing. Probably Chappelle, Seinfeld, Chris Rock would yeah. probably be my top yeah. three stand-ups that I've that I've 
that I've consumed the most of and that have been there that I've, I've liked a lot. And the thing is, though, is that, like, honestly, um, you know, Seinfeld's only had a, a few different acts ever. So it's not it's not he's so different yeah. from the rest of them. Right. He's so it's different. Not. Ooh. I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I know I interrupted you and me just now, but uh, I actually I actually have to say David Cross. I was going to say, I, yeah, I, I was actually going to put David Cross. Maybe David Cross three. goes in that. He's on that Mount Honestly, Rushmore. Uh, I was going to say Chappelle. My very, very close number two is Patton. Um, oh, Patton Oswalt yeah. is, is, yeah. is ridiculously amazing. He is good. Um, and then, yeah, probably maybe David Cross. I don't know. Honestly, like, I just got introduced to Bill Burr not that long ago, and I actually really love Bill Burr a lot. I like Bill. Bill Burr is interesting to me because I like Bill Burr in interviews, right? More, but on in stand up, I feel like his material is it just his delivery and the character that he is on stage is just kind of like you kind of just seem like a complete and total piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of why I like him because he actually doesn't seem like a piece of shit. But you're actually waiting for him to be a piece of shit all the time. Yeah. Like, he's always on the cusp of a bit where you're like, this is obviously going to lead into where a situation when you're talking about abusing a woman or being racist or being sexist or whatever. Yeah. But he's actually not. He never actually goes there no. because his position is actually... Yeah, he's not actually a monster. warranted and rational. It's just from a perspective that we don't ever talk about. And so it's like... Damn, the fact that you can toe the line that close yeah. to like tension is pretty hard. But I, I, I mean, honestly, like we haven't really said it, but I think number three is probably Bill Hicks for me. Oh yeah, I, I love Bill Hicks. Like I probably always will love Bill Hicks for because he represents a wide spectrum of comedy. Like every, he doesn't execute always on the level that I want a comic to to execute on, like Patton or Chappelle would. Not every joke that he does lands, but he does things that are really subtle. He does things that are really stupid and yeah, silly and that are, you know, dumb and like in- insignificant, but he makes you think about a lot of things that are very real and very impactful. And he gets very gross and very vulgar. All on the spectrum, maybe within five minutes, those things might happen. And he might just yell at you as an audience member for not participating in the thing that he wants you to participate in. Yeah. And it's just like, man, that was so great that you just had that freedom to do that. I, so that's kind of where, you know, I, I'm in a weird place with stand up now where it's, it's actually pretty rare that I, um, that I find an act that I, that I laugh out loud at while I watch. Yeah. It's pretty rare, but it's not because no one's good at it. Um, and it's not because I don't think anything is, is funny as much as that, like, I don't know. I, to me, I, th- I think that I just have a very specific desire of what I want out of stand-up yeah. and a very kind of rigid expectation. Yep. And and especially now with, with like, Netflix and how many people get a special. Totally. There's so many versions of what a stand-up act could be. Like Neil Brennan's Three Mics. Did you yeah. watch that? Yeah, I did. So I think that's a really interesting um, performance. 
but I don't know how comfortable I am calling it stand-up. Right. And I think that Neil Brennan is a stand-up, so I'm not trying to say, like, he's not credible or he's not a comedian or I'm the authority on who gets to judge who is or isn't to begin with. Yeah. I don't right. mean that. I just mean, like, and honestly, Chappelle's stand-ups that he came out with on Netflix in the last year or two. Like, Amazing. Well, so I liked him a lot, but they also, to me, Wildly go in different. this go in this direction that Neil Brennan's did where it's like, this is more like your show, like the Neil Brennan show, three mics, cool, or the, the Chappelle stand-up show, whatever it's called. But I almost, I almost do, just don't feel like it's just stand-up. Yeah. Whereas like some of the, the other routines, like killing him softly is just stand-up. Well, like the Austin routine, I feel like was, but then like the other two things that he did, like, he definitely took a very different approach where he was just going to like, I'm going to go into a serious topic and we're just going to kind of talk about that. And I'm just kind of kind of construct a narrative yeah. within that. And I don't really care if you laugh right within every 30 seconds. I'm not looking for a laugh every 30 seconds. To right. beat. I'm looking for a laugh every five minutes, but I'm going to try and tell what I want to because I already did the stand up special where I already did jokes every 30 seconds where you got to laugh. You know what I mean? So it's like, no, I get it. I, I and, and it's not that I think that they shouldn't that that they're doing it wrong. I think it's just that I think that the problem that we have right now is that we don't have a a good enough system of definitions mm-hmm. for what these different performances are, and so we just say it's a guy on a stage by himself with a mic and no instrument, right? And generally, he's funny, right? So it's stand up because it's not slam poetry. It's right. not a it's not a solo play, right? So it's stand up, and it's like, but it's not really, right? And it doesn't mean it doesn't diminish it in any way. Again, in no way am I attacking it. I th- I thought Chappelle's stuff was, as you said, it's it's awesome. Like, it's really funny, and it is thought provoking and thoughtful. And like, yeah, the stuff he talks about is like, well, that's an interesting way to look right. at that or whatever. But that's not to me. That's not stand up. Like when I watch stand up, I want to laugh. And a really interesting experience I had recently was I watched Elsa Schlesinger. Have you ever watched her? Yeah, she's cool. So um, I to watched. Agree. I, watched, I like her, but yeah, I watched one of her routines on Netflix. I don't remember which special it was. I think it was one of the older ones, not the most recent. Um, I didn't laugh ever. However, I wanted to watch the entire thing. And when it was over, I was like, that was an incredible performance. Yeah. Right. Like the energy that she has and right. the, and, and really it's a well-constructed stand-up routine. It's yeah. not even, it doesn't even fit into this category that I'm talking about with Brennan and Chappelle where it's kind of not stand-up because you're also just like sharing thoughts on, it's almost like a podcast format, you know, <laughs> except yeah. they're not doing it in this setting. Oh, right. Right, right. Um, and Elsa Schlesinger's is not that. It's very much more a stand-up act. It's just all supposed to be jokes. Right. She doesn't ever take right. a serious turn. But I still didn't find it. I didn't. Again, I didn't find myself just laughing out loud. Yeah, right. And I thought that was strange because I was still interested in it, and I still thought I'm glad she made that, and I'm glad I saw it, and I'm glad it's there. And again, in no way am I trying to diminish it. There's nothing. I don't have a critique of it. I know. It just yeah. wasn't right. funny in that way. Right. I don't know. It's right. weird. No, I mean, it could still be interesting. And if it doesn't really hit those moments of finding something that you find funny, like, I mean, it's it's pretty rare whenever we actually find something, you and I individually, where we laugh out loud when we watch something 
by ourselves. That's funny. Generally laugh together. When we're in a group of people, it's much more funny. Even if it's comic that's probably not that good, we're probably more likely to laugh at something that's kind of funny if we're in a group of people or surrounded by an audience that's actually funny. The last thing that I actually remember like watching, like by myself, like I'm just gonna watch this, I'm gonna see like what it's like. I have no idea, no reference point whatsoever. I'm just gonna see if it's okay and, and funny or not it was the LHG show. I laughed my fucking ass off. Like that show is so fucking funny. I, I was in tears yeah. laughing so fucking hard. Like it's that good. Like LG. it's just rare to that to have that kind of experience where it's like, damn, you just hit all the right fucking buttons for me, man. You just did. Yeah. So Aziz Ansari has a bit about um about fifty cent and him he being in the restaurant with fifty cent and fifty cent orders a grapefruit soda. Right. And then he it is delivered to him, and he asks the waiter why it's not purple. Because, <laughs> and, and Aziz Ansari then elaborates again. This is his joke, but he then elaborates that um, the Fifty Cent doesn't know what a grapefruit is, right. and that he now gets to watch another grown man explain to him the difference between the fruit, yeah. and a grape, and a grapefruit. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like I laughed pretty hard at that bit. Like that right. was funny, but it's but the, the um, that whole set. I don't think is back front to back funny. Not, like the whole Nzi Zanzari right, right. hour long special or whatever so that's in. I want to kind of take this in a different direction, if I may. Like, I kind of want to talk about so why is this significant for us? Like, why do we actually like stand up comedy? Like, well, that's what, is the, what, what is the significance? Well, for that's kind of what lives? I'm trying to. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's kind of what I'm trying to explore is that like it. It's weird. It's it's interesting because it was something that as a kid I completely devoured and loved and yeah. even tried to do, and now it's something that really even how, how little. Uh, no, no. I mean, as a little kid, I started devouring it and watching it. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't. I mean, my earliest comedy memory is probably honestly the early, one of the earliest stand up comics I remember. And you said him earlier is Sam Kennison. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah. probably like four or five years old right. when I remember seeing that. Shit. Yeah. So. Yeah. But anyway, so like I, I liked it a lot. But then as I got older, as I've gotten older, I my attachment to it has become less and less. So that like, that is what I'm saying is that it's interesting to me because it it's changed. My relationship with it has changed right. significantly. But I also feel like it has changed significantly. Oh, definitely. Mine becomes more and more like. The more that I become engrossed of it, the more that I actually want it. It just I'm more selective about the comics that I actually want. I would actually be more inclined, even though I'm a musician and I listen to music and it's my hobby and I love it. I would be more inclined to go to a comedy show pretty much every night and see a stand-up comic than I would be to see a new band play at a new venue, like and just see what they had offered. Because it's more rewarding for me to see a stand-up comic, like. I, I don't know what really the reward is there that I'm really looking for, but I just love it being able to like hear someone's perspective given on the world. Cause that's really what it is. It's a comedy that I love so much is like hearing this person's worldview and the ones that do it so well, tell it from such a ridiculous standpoint. The ones that I love so much are the ones that always take reality and poke fun at how 
fucking ridiculously and stupid. We follow these rudimentary rules that are, make no fucking sense. And you're like, why are we doing this? This makes no fucking sense. This is fucking dumb. And here's why. And then throw this ridiculously very on the nose, very on point joke about it, which is super fucking funny. And it's like, thank you. Where have you been, George Carlin? Where have you been, Bill Hicks? Where have you been, David Cross? Like, how did I miss all these fucking comics? Like, that's why I love Patton. Patton is an educated English major from a university. So when you hear Patton talk in his stand-up, it's not the same thing, and I think this is probably a misconception that people have when they actually approach comics that they may actually meet on, on the street, is that, oh, you talk to me from your stage persona like I was there, like you were talking to me, so I feel connected to you, so I can talk to you as if you were just talking to me on the street. So it's like, hey, what's going on? Are we friends? Or what's going on? Like, we're... we're we're hanging out, and it's like, I don't know you. That was a whole bit that I was doing that I rehearsed 20 times. I recorded and writ and wrote that whole set for 40 minutes. Me interacting with you right now has nothing to do with that. Like, I'm not the same person as that. It's a show that I created, you know? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, you know? I I'm not sure I understand what, we're, what you're explaining. I mean, I, I understand you're saying that there's a difference between the comic and their act? Like the person in the comic? Yeah, so like I, I like the fact that there's people that, comics specifically, that um, showcase their ability to show reality, how ridiculous it is, how insane it is, and then personify that so well that it actually comes across as being a very natural in conversation. Right. And then the people that are actually in the audience misconstrued that as being actual conversation. That's how well-crafted it is. Like yeah. It becomes so well-crafted right. that it's like, oh my God, it's just like I'm talking to you right now. So they mistake that when they actually go up to the comic and meet them like after a show or whatever and talk to them and it's like, oh, I'm not actually that person. Like That was actually something that I did. I just made it feel that way. Right. But it made it seem like I was actually like right. connecting with you, but we're not actually friends. I don't fucking know you. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's something so completely different than the relationship of the musician, of uh, the, the dancer, of uh, any kind of performance artist or anybody who's kind of a movie star. You know, it's like your movie role was tailored specifically to me. It's like, not really. I was just kind of acting and doing something that was specific that a screenwriter wrote, the director was telling me to do. If it touched you, great. I think actors but... are probably the most similar to comedians in that way, where they have, where people attribute the final product of the performance that they see to, um to being like something that just came very naturally to that person yeah. and is a, right. a reflection right. of themselves when really there could be an enormous, I mean, right. you know, in the case of an actor, there's, as you said, screenwriters and people writing the script and a director and cinematography and all these other things that shape how you interpret that. And with stand-up, there's oftentimes hours and hours and hours of practice right. Right. and refinement and cutting words and adding words and all this stuff. Right. So that when you see it on HBO, you know, it seems like it's this very off the cuff, you know, yes. I'm just riffing on some things and it's right. like, exactly. no, they spent 
thousands of hours. Right yeah, now. refining yeah. that yeah. to be what it is, so it does seem natural. But yeah. they cut all the excess out of it. They made it seem that way. Yeah, yeah, just it's amazing. It's amazing to like be able to identify with that because it is a very huge emotional connection. Like, yeah, I have felt that. I mean, surely, like, Chappelle was, like, the first person that just, like, hit me right in the fucking chest with that shit. It's like, Chappelle could probably absolutely say nothing except gibberish, and the way that he talks and his mannerisms make me laugh every time. Kind of like Will Ferrell, like, it's just kind of Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell, but it's like, you're just... He just radiates funny. Yeah, you're just ridiculous by nature. I just fucking love it. So I feel the same way about the guy that he does, uh, like, Step Brothers with. John something. Yeah, John C. Riley. But do you know that that guy's actually, like, a classically trained, like... Yeah, he's fucking awesome. He's like a real actor, (laughs) not just a comic. No, yeah, no, he's done lots of series. He's like, yeah, I know. I've never seen it, but I feel like it would be hard... To see him in that because it's like, but you're Will Ferrell's sidekick guy. That's yeah, like, right? And you exude the same silliness that, that a Will Ferrell does. I don't know. I guess, I guess, you know, to tie it back to kind of what we, you know, to stand up generally, stand up itself has just taken a very different um, meaning for me over, over the years. And it's interesting to me to see how I interact with it. Once in a while, I still find a bit like that Aziz Ansari bit that I brought up or I find, or I find a new comic. Like there's a guy named Nate Bergazzi that, I do laugh out loud at by myself. Like he's super hilarious, but it's, yeah, it's all very, very silly. So it's actually not life commentary or a worldview. It's just, it's just silly. Like it's just ridiculous. And that, you know, that just comes from the same thing of your taste in music or taste in books or whatever yeah, else. Like it, it is subjective, but it's like if you want something that's silly, not like life serious, like there are comics out there specifically for you. If you like people that are poking fun at social commentary and want to talk about the real world and how it's dumb, like there's people there for you. If you like exclusive vulgarity, that's just talking about dick and pussy jokes. Like there's a whole fucking demographic of there just for you that you can adhere to. And then there's people that try and juggle all three in between that. I think we probably are probably mostly, you know, fans of. Yeah. Someone that I bounced around on for a while, but that I've actually now settled in that I, in the last time I listened, I, I did laugh by myself again, but is Anthony Jeselnik. Yeah one-liner guy and i at first i was like that's not real comedy that's one-liners but now i've now i don't i'm not that pretentious (laughs) and now i see it as a uh right 
It's just a different form, a different version yeah. of it. It's kind of Mitch Hedberg for me. It was the same thing. Like yeah. everyone I know, like fucking loves Mitch Hedberg. I can't stand the dude. Like, but it's not that I don't respect him. Like what he does and what or what he did was really well crafted, and 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 constructing his jokes was something that wasn't ever done before. But it wasn't something that really attested to my taste and it wasn't anything more than that like it just didn't hit home i was just yeah. like yeah it's just it's like that's kind of clever like yeah you got it like that's kind of funny but yeah dying over laughter and it's like nah man I'm like i'm Chappelle. like i'm with that kind of clever like that's the kind of like ridiculousness that i like yeah i think for me david cross is um his his ability to blend the like serious point with the most it, it's like David Cross is the closest thing to South Park in stand-up form like yeah I would agree with that like it's this like it's like this like hey let's take a topic and then blow it out to its furthest logical conclusion and and just see where what that looks like and it's yeah. it's really irreverent and it's really um I, but and it's really cutting often. Yeah. But I just I love it. Like David Cross was one, but he was you know I didn't find out you know as earlier I said Chris Rock Seinfeld Chappelle. Well, that's also kind of the order <laughs> in which I discovered comedy. Comedy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So David Cross probably came after that. You know what I mean? But then you have right. like Patton and those other and Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari and these other people that are more modern. That they just came later in life too. So it's also there's not a nostalgia yeah. associated with them in the same way that there is Chappelle. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, right. Seinfeld right. and Chris yeah. Rock. Yeah, so. definitely. With with uh, Cross, like, uh, you know, we I think we probably got both into Cross around the same time. You were into him before me. Okay, so that was roughly like "Shut Your Fucking Mouth, You Cry Baby." That was his album that he released that era. I don't remember. Oh, four oh five. Year, yeah, around that time. And those bits and that set is just ridiculous. Ridiculously great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is great. <laughs> My only reason why I don't put him in like a topper value rather than the other ones is only because he takes a lot of liberty with how he delivers jokes. Like he does not deliver jokes on a rhythm basis of like every minute you could probably expect a joke to land and then you're going to get laughter from it. He might tell you a story that might last for like three or four minutes and then there's a punchline and it's not really that funny, but it's, and it's not necessarily that witty, but it's like contextually hilarious for like a social situation. He pokes fun at politics a lot. He pokes fun at like Catholicism and he's an outspoken atheist and he's an outspoken like anti-Trump supporter. So like, he has a whole bit about anti-Bush when because he came out with that album when Bush came out. So like all of us that were like anti-Bush, we were like, oh my god, this is amazing. But there are bits where it just like goes on and on for like a few minutes where it's just like, okay, are you gonna get to the point here? So it sounds like the really rhythm is off. I you're expe- you really though. It sounds like you're kind of talking about what I was talking about with Neil Brennan, the three mics, and and the most recent Chappelle things where it's like. There's all there's elements of it that don't feel like pure stand up, and that's why I thought that I yeah. think that's an interesting thing to consider. And I don't know how that changes. I don't know how we come up with more categories, or if anyone's interested right. in doing that, or who right. will, right. or who it's up to. But I feel like there needs to be more nuance 
in how we categorize these performances and these different performers because it's not fair to lump them all together. I mean, again, like, you know, we talked about Seinfeld does one act. Louis C.K. writes a new act every year. Like, yeah, that's wildly different. That's a wildly different. Yeah, no, exactly. Everything. Like, it's it's so weird to me from Seinfeld perspective, who is a multimillionaire, maybe even billionaire at this point. With, yeah, I don't know. With cop, uh, I don't know. What, I don't know what his ownership is. Like, like, I mean, he sold it for like 500 million or something crazy. Like, he sold <laughs> it for a lot of money. So, like, I'm sure at this point with that and Seinfeld, like, he's probably, you know, a billionaire, maybe. But he largely toured on a set of material that he constructed and then just did that for decades until he retired it with, I'm going to tell you, for the last time. And all of that material was from Seinfeld, which was from all of those years. And it's weird to me from a performer standpoint. I'm not a performer, but... I, you know, trying to put myself in the position of doing that as a performance, going day to day, city to city, doing that exact same material and trying to deliver those same lines as still being fun and entertaining. Yeah, I think we're like with Louis C.K. who delivers 50 minutes every year. It's like at least you have a tour that you can deliver and kind of play with. And every show kind of has its own dynamic where you can do that. And after the tour is over, then you rewrite a new 50 set, you know, 50 minutes of material. And then you do that the next year and try it out. And yeah. That, you know what I mean? It's like every time you do it, it feels like a new kind of shell in the gun, I guess, for a stupid metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I get that. I think the difference is that Seinfeld comes from an era where the act is looked at more like a play. Yeah, no, and he's openly said that. He's like, it's a show. I was promoting a show. I took the show on the road, just like old 50s and 60s shows used to do. You construct a show, and then you take that show on the road. So it's like, I'm taking my show on the road. And I think that that's probably a, the best way to, like, disconnect yourself from the fact that you're trying to, like, do something that's engaging with the audience is that, I've constructed this show. Now I just deliver it. I can rehearse it. It's external to me, not personal. Mm -hmm. And I can just like showcase it to you where that's probably why I put him, wouldn't put him, put him in the top three is that like, I don't feel that personalization from him. Like Chappelle feels that way. Louis C.K. feels that way. Patton feels that way. Bill Burr feels that way. You know, like there's comedians that, not that he doesn't feel genuine or he's not professional. It's just like maybe there kind of feels like an absence of delivery because you've done it 800 times. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I, um, yeah, I, again, I'm, I, for me, it was, it's more, it's more just his influence on me more than it is whether or not I think it measures up as, you know, it's not really trying to compare them as one being better than the other as much as it's like, or, or, or even that I, yeah, really when I say that they're on my Mount Rushmore, it's, it's more just as far as my influences and, and what I think about comedy and how I how I look at it all. Yeah. Um, but then also, you know, the, he did that documentary, so he did the thing where he retired the act, and then he did a documentary called The Comedian. Yeah. Where he rebuilds an entirely new act starting with five minutes and builds it a whole brand new set, and you get to watch that whole thing happen. And I think that probably really endeared me to Seinfeld as well because it did kind of remove that veil and it did kind of expose him to be like, oh, 
he is a real comic. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's I, legit. I, I wasn't trying to like. No, I don't think you yeah, were. I'm just saying, like, I think that that no. kind of helped. That probably, and that's not really. You don't get that from the act. You get that from watching that documentary, which yeah, I right. used to watch no. over and over. And I think that's really his genius. Is that he did a really good job of not just being like. I'm a comic, and if you can document this and put it on a DVD, then a lot, a lot of other people have it. He really thought about it from a medium's perspective, which is why Seinfeld like worked so well. He worked stand-up into a sitcom. What other fucking show does that? What other shows since him has really done that? Yeah, that's actually. I mean, that's that's what Martin Lawrence, the Martin Show, was. No, yeah, true. Was that, that was actually after a- him? I mean, same era. I don't know literally the years that they came out, but I mean, they're all in, on in the 90s. Yeah. Grace Under Fire was Brett Butler, I think her name was. She yeah. was a stand-up comic. Yeah, that, right. that was actually the formula for getting a show for a while was be a stand-up comic. No, but do they the do a stand-up comedy in the show? Oh, do Is they play stand-up? segments with them doing stand-up? Gotcha. And then it gotcha. Actually, you know what I mean? Gotcha. I think Seinfeld's the only one that's actually That might that. be true. That might be true. And yeah. still to this day, no one's really done that, which is kind of weird. But that's his profession in the show. That's what I was going to say. But yeah, then also. I thought for a long time, like, well, I don't really know. I can fucking top that. But comedians in the car, or comedians in cars and coffee, fucking genius. Yeah. Super genius. Amazing. Love that show. Yeah. I mean, 15-minute episodes of just, like, cars matching with comedies, like, the comedians, like, it's amazing. It's hilarious. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, we could obviously talk about stand-up comedy and just comedy at broad as a broad topic for <laughs> the rest of the night, I think. Um, but I think that it's, it, it's definitely a fascinating thing because I think it is similar to music in that there's so many versions of it and there's not a right or wrong thing to like. You know, it's entirely subjective. And... There's room for all of it, right? And uh, it, it, it has the ability to have that same level of impact on you, though, that music does or that movies do. Yeah. And, it, yeah. There, but there's well, a lot I, of people... I don't who, know. Like, I, I honestly don't know, like, the cultural significance of it. Like, it seems very important. It seems like it's very, very right there on things that should be very important. But it's very hard for me to define why it should actually be there. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, the thing is, is, social commentary. It is, but I don't know that. I think that also, as as mediums of entertainment have evolved, you know, stand up used to be one of the only ways to see comedy because there was only three channels, so there's only three right, right. possible TV shows on at any given time and that kind of thing. And now, as yeah, as the right. access has exploded, there's just so many more ways that comedy. Because I think comedy ultimately oh, yeah. is kind of a truth to power thing. Right. I think that's its significance in culture, and I yeah. think stand-up has kind of now just been—it's it, just a part of a lot bigger right. thing than that is just comedy as a whole, which right. could be The Office or Bruno yeah. or Borat or Ali right. D.
I actually thought like that there wasn't a show that maybe has done something like Seinfeld has done before with like showcasing stand up comedy specifically and making that like the forefront. Actually, Marvelous Miss Maisel. I don't know if you've ever seen Marvelous Miss Maisel. It's fucking ridiculously awesome hmm. because it's about a 1950s woman housewife who is actually Jewish in New York City and she gets divorced and her husband actually at the time wants to be a stand-up comedian and he's doing like showcases at a local bar but she's so disgruntled from the fact that she's actually divorced that she just like rants on stage and like just rants and it's fucking genius and she actually becomes a stand-up comedian so it's about her progression and the 1950s of being a stand-up comedian and it's fucking insanely great it's super good because you do see the progression and it goes into nuances of being an art form of not just are you funny amongst your friends are you funny amongst people that think that you're witty like can you just go up on a mic on a whim and just rant and is that okay like Maybe you do have to rehearse like a five minute set or a 10 minute set. Like, can you do that so well that you don't get booed off a stage? Can you dig a 10 minute set and turn it into a 40 minute set? And you know what I mean? Like there's growth there that you have to like put work into an effort to showcase what you actually want to do so to inter- make it seem natural. Yeah. It's interesting because different, that's the other thing is there's so many, there's so many approaches. You have the Seinfeld that's again, it's like he's writing a play you have Chappelle, who went to performing arts school and started doing stand-up when he was 14. You have Louis C.K., who's putting out a new hour every year. Right. But then you have Bill Burr, who you brought up at the very beginning of our yeah, conversation. Love that, dude. He doesn't write. He just literally writes <laughs> topics and riffs. And that's yeah. it. And, and now he, oh, he, kind so of, good. he kind of has the riff in his head. And, you know, if, if yeah. something worked, then he knows that, and then he'll use it again. So right, it's not right, like it's right. completely blind, but... He might practice it, but, but not really. It's not a science. It's not like here's the mathematical formula right. to do comedy. Like right. it's a method. It has to work for you, but yeah. you'll know it by the amount of booze or the amount of laughs that you get. <laughs> I yeah. guess I don't know. You would know, but I don't <laughs> know. Like I've never done that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a it's a thing where whenever whenever a joke lands, you feel this. And again, it's not like I've you know been in an arena or something, but. But just in front of a you know a hundred people or something, if you if you have a joke land, it feels like you're a, a puppeteer because you know when it's supposed to be funny and when you were right and you said it and it's funny and now they all laugh. Right, you feel like you pulled a string, you know, and so it's a empowering feeling. But that is then on the other side of the coin or the other edge of the sword or whatever from. When you know when it's supposed to be funny and they don't react, (laughs) then that's a that's a different that's a a hard space to fill. And um, it's a the thing is, though, is that I actually found that it wasn't really when they didn't laugh that is hard. Like, I mean, yeah, that sucks because you want them to laugh. But if they're paying attention to you. At least you did that well enough. Like at least you got them yeah, to listen. Right. The hardest is when you're in the middle of a bit and you look out and you see people start looking down at their phones yeah. or having conversations just amongst themselves at the table, and you're like, right. "Oh man, I've just lost. I've lost the room." You know what yeah. I mean? Like now it's not whether or not the joke was funny. They're not even paying attention. Like right. that's that's the that was the most uncomfortable feeling. And not that that happened. I mean, I didn't do it that do stand up that mm-hmm. much anyway. 
that wasn't a common experience, but it did happen a couple times. And that was probably the worst because then it's like pretty disarming. They're not even they're not even judging it because they just did, like it wasn't even good enough for anyone to even listen. You know what yeah, I mean? Right, right, right. Like I thought this is really good, and you actually don't even give a shit. Yeah, so why am I even doing this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting thing. I, I think about going back to it sometimes, and I may I may still at some point try and jump back into it and see uh, see where it could go because it's. And why would you want to do that? Because there's a thrill to it that is fun. And so is it like adrenaline junkie? No, it's not really adrenaline junkie as much as it's just like um, it's just a creative outlet. It's just a way. Yeah. I'm not a musician, so I can't. I'm not going to sit down and, and play a thing on a guitar and feel sure. like, oh man, that was awesome. But well, I might bad. write a. Go ahead. I might write a set that is a joke that I think is funny. And then if I can deliver that and other and, and get the response I want, then that's like a very satisfying, like sweet, right, like I right. hit, I hit it. You know what I mean? So, but like, not that I'm a musician because I would never proclaim to be a musician, but like, but my you validation podcast on you being a musician, so <laughs> but my validation for writing music and creating music is my own satisfaction. Yeah. But I don't have an audience. Like I've never right. performed it live, and I don't know. And right. had multiple people like, "You should play that live, and that'd be super dope." And it's like, I have to hire musicians because I do it all myself, and that would be kind of an under thing, and it'd be expensive. So I don't know. Like, is it a thing where like you're actually looking for validation for the audience perspective and oh. for it to be good? Yeah, like, absolutely. I can think it not so. be satisfying just for you to like think something's funny and then jokes to yourself i mean you and i no you and i are very very much self-promoters of jokes to yourself like yeah uh, no i the secret I, to life is jokes to yourself yeah <laughs> no i don't i don't think that it I, so yes there is a, a need and, and to some extent you know there's people that say that if you if, if you're a comic there's some insecurity there because you are seeking validation and you do like that reward system of of being validated through through your act and that may be true. I don't know, but um, it, it comedy—that's where comedy and music are different. That's where it's not it, just because you could be on a stage performing it. Music offers an experience, and maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's not literally different, but culturally, music is something that you do enjoy by yourself, and you can hear a pleasing rhythm and and have that. Yeah. And with comedy, it, it it is sharing it with someone else. Like comedy right. does require another person. It's not comedy if you just make yourself laugh. Like you you could make yourself laugh and be satisfied with it. And you're right. I'm a huge proponent of making jokes for myself. And I would even argue that the writing process that the best comedians use probably is that they're trying that it's funny to them, right? Like if they think it's funny, it's funny right. in their lens. So I agree with all that, but no, like it, it is something where you do have to get you it requires validation from the audience to know if it worked in any comic that you listen to that talks about comedy that's the difference is with a song you can sit in a studio and write it and practice it and get better at it and arrange it and and make sense of it all by yourself and with comedy you just don't know if it works until you go to an audience and see if they laugh. And then yeah. you figure out what words to cut out or put in or emphasize or not emphasize or leave a gap in speech or don't talk as fast here or whatever it is. 
but that only can be done in a live environment. So it's also, it just takes a long time to refine because you can't refine it by yourself. You just don't know if it works or not. Yeah. Because for you to come on, for a musician to book a, a at a at a bar, obviously the bar is going to want people to show up. But for people to show up and say that was a good show, they are still sitting at their tables talking to each other the whole time. They're not to see a good show at a bar doesn't mean that you were dancing or completely engaged in it the whole time. But if you see a good comedy show, absolutely, it's because you were engaged in laughing the whole time. It's never just a guy in the background talking. So my only um, like uh, question that I would add to that which I think is kind of a little bit valid. It's kind of weird. But is that Dave Chappelle's second stand-up that he did with Netflix was one that he was actually sitting down the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he was actually in a very small audience, and he largely just kind of, not lectured, but he just was kind of telling stories to the audience. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really like open bit, just like, here's my, here's my bit, here's my joke, here's my punchline. He said things that were funny, but those just happened to be in context of the story that he was telling. Mm -hmm. What he was really doing was just narrating whatever kind of story that he was telling. So a a large portion of the story that he was telling wasn't funny at all. So there's large segments where nobody's laughing. Correct. So... Especially when he talks about, like, the Iceberg Slim guy and all that. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, so is that... Funny? No, is that and that's is that stand up comedy? No, and that's that's the whole point I tried to make thirty minutes ago is I don't think that stand up comedy is a is a good category for that performance because I think it's a great performance. I don't think you should change anything about it. I think everyone should watch it, but I don't think it's stand up. So how do you differentiate between his first stand up and his second stand up? The fact that he didn't get laughs every thirty seconds in the story that he was telling. Because if he sorted, if he told a story that was funnier and had laughs and more punchlines that were every thirty seconds, would that be stand-up comedy? Yeah, but you can't tell the iceberg slim story and make it funny because it's just brutal. Like the point he's trying to make by telling that story, I know, can't yeah, yeah. be told in a funny way, right? So, well, yeah. But he, so, but if he provided little small anecdotes that were funny for whatever reason, I don't know how you would do that. But if he did do that and they were funny, would it then be stand-up comedy? Yeah, I mean, again, that's yes, yeah, so that that's my point that I've tried to get to is that I think that stand up is jokes, and what he's doing when he describes Iceberg Slim and all that is not jokes. So is jokes based on a timing thing? No, jokes is based on if it's intended to be funny or not, which so, doesn't like, mean that it, it it's not about whether it's every thirty seconds or two minutes or whether there's an obvious premise setup punchline. Like it's, right. it, it's not that either. It's just are you trying to get to something funny? And with the Iceberg Slim thing, he's not trying to get something funny. He's explaining why he left the Chappelle show. Right. He's right. explaining the fucked up society that and the power structure that Hollywood has and but had with him. There are funny things inside of that story. Yeah. Is that not stand up then? Because it's still laughing, right? Like, yeah. He's not deriving it to a joke. So right. So I guess that, I guess you're right. It's not a it's not comedy because he's not actually pushing it towards right. a, an ends of a joke. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it could be funny in its narrative, but not if it's long as it's not like a means to an end. Whereas like Ilsa Schlesinger that I said earlier that I didn't laugh at, I still think that's a stand up bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because the whole thing is supposed to be funny, even though I didn't laugh. Right. 
it's right, stand up. Right. right, right. David Cross, even though he can get pedantic and really draw out a point, right. it's all in service of trying to be funny. Yeah. Chappelle yeah, yeah. and Neil Brennan went off in a different direction. And again, it's almost kind of like a like a again, like a Joe Rogan podcast episode or something where it's just yeah. them just explaining and exploring something. And I think it's fascinating. Right. So I'm not critiquing it and or criticizing it. I'm actually more just saying I wish we had better definitions. I wish yeah, we had more right. nuanced language to categorize that stuff because yeah. it's it's worth something. But it, when you say it's stand-up, I think it's easy for it to get – I honestly think it does it a disservice because it's easy to lose Dave Chappelle's stand-up right. where he talks about the Iceberg Slim thing as – well, that's not really like, oh, well, that's not his best. Killing Me Softly is his best stand-up yeah. act. And it's like, that's true. But the, the stand-up he does or the performance he does right. <laughs> where that ends with the Iceberg Slim story is totally worth seeing, too. Right. And I don't like that it has to be compared to Killing Me Softly because they're different performances. Yeah. No, they are. They you are, know? for sure. But they're still encompassed within the same... I wouldn't say genre, but like housing. You know, yeah, that, well, that's why I say is basically like, if it's a guy like, on a stage with a mic by himself and no instrument, yeah, we call right. it stand up. But like uh, Patton Oswald has a good bit in his stand up where he talks about performing in the 80s, where it was really tough because performing in the 80s, like when you went on as a comic, it had like on the marquee, like I don't remember specifically the bit, but it's like comic or like comedy. And it was just like advertising this thing that like people walked by on a date night. They were like, oh, there's something funny inside. And they would just go in and it was something that happened to you that you wouldn't expected to see. So if you weren't entertained by the comic, by it being like slapstick humor, bald knobbers and Branson kind of thing, like then it wasn't comedy. And certainly that has evolved way past that, mm-hmm. certainly in late 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. even 70s with, you know, Robert Williams and, and George Carlin. Like, they took that shit in a way new direction. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it, it, it does evolve. It does go into some kind of momentum where it's like, I don't really know what kind of genre to define it as. I don't even know how you really define comedy. Like, because sometimes it is just people like talking in social commentary and their perspective is really funny. You know, the people that just have specific jokes and points of life that are just really funny. Like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I think for me, the way I, the way that I look at it is 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 everything in service to to attempting to be funny as in service of a joke. Yeah. And if the answer to that is no, then yeah. which is why like Neil Brennan's three yeah, mics thing yeah. I thought was really fascinating. But him telling me about his depression or his relationship with his father isn't funny. It's not that it's not interesting, and it's not that it's not awesome that he's talking about that stuff that people don't talk about and and probably helping unlock some thoughts for other people that are dealing with like right. all of it's right. powerful and I and he wouldn't have that opportunity if it wasn't for his comedy. His right. comedy is what gave him that platform. So it's also not that I think that he's not a comic. I'm doing air quotes as I say that, but it's not that I think that he's <laughs> not a comic or that he's betrayed comedy in some way. I just think that it's too, again, that's why I'm not advocating that any of it's wrong. I'm advocating that we should just have better language to define it with. It's really actually fucking cool that you have these many people that are involved with it. And it can kind of continues to grow as a, as a growing audience and growing like 
genre of people because it does become this wide variety of people that exist within this genre that's not well defined. I mean, maybe some people define it as like soft-spoken comedy and gimmicky comedy or whatever, but really, like, it's all there's no subgenres there. It's all comedy, like, right? You either get David Cross or you get you know uh, you know uh, Carrot Top. Yeah, Carrot Top. Right, exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> there's that spectrum. You don't know until you watch the stand-up. Yeah. And that, to me, honestly, is my favorite thing probably about stand-up. Is that... Yeah. And I will know... Not the same thing with music, but I will definitively know within about five or ten minutes if I like you or not. And I will watch anybody that anybody recommends and comedy. And I'll be like, cool, I'll watch it. And then I'll give you like five or ten minutes. And I will know within that five or ten minutes if I actually like that person or not. Yeah, someone that was really interesting for me that I watched recently. So I've listened to to the Joe Rogan podcast quite a bit over the last few years. And and anyone that's listened to that show, the episodes are anywhere from an hour and a half to four hours long. So they're very long episodes. So you really get to see Joe Rogan talk and interact a lot. And when Joe Rogan goes on stage... As, as a comedian, he definitely has an act in this character that is not the same person that he is on the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. Right? Right. And right. and I actually find that I, f- I don't like it because I feel it, like I want... And to be clear, Joe Rogan is a successful, multi-decade spanning stand-up comedian. I am not, so it doesn't matter what the fuck I think (laughs) about (laughs) Joe Rogan's career. Right. But it's like, I want to tell him like, Oh, you don't have to like, you don't have to do that. Like you don't have to put on this persona because you're already interesting enough and smart enough to make these observations and these jokes. And they will work with just you as who you are. And when you add this, like ramp this, because basically his on stage character is like, him if he was pissed off and drinking coffee all the yeah, time. Yeah, no, right. I actually like, don't like to stand up at all because I'm like, Jesus, this yeah, is obnoxious. It's just like, fuck. whoa, man. But, but, but that's not who he is. Too hard. Yeah, no, exactly. It's yeah. more like you know, who he is as the person on the podcast. Right. He seems more relaxed, more well suited to be just yeah. off the cuff person. But again, has done stand up for, for 30 years. And if you listen yeah. to him on a show, we'll say that the thing that he considers himself at his core. Is a stand-up comedian yeah, before he's right. a UFC guy, before he's an Beer actor, actor. <laughs> yeah, a host, the the Joe Rogan, any of the experience, any of that. Right. He's a stand-up comic, and he's like, if I lost everything, I could always, I could always tour as a comic. So clearly, he's established as a comedian. You know what I mean? Yeah. And right. and so I don't mean to say like fuck Joe Rogan's act or something either. It's just that it's interesting because it. Feels it, it feels unauthentic. Exactly. Correct. And it certainly feels authentic, unauthentic when compared in contrast to this show that he has on a podcast where he's very know, measured and frigid about it. And she was like, Joe Rogan, the guy from Fear Factor. And I was like, he's actually very insightful. He yeah. Has really well really informed. Thoughtful. Yes. He actually really wants to be well informed and he actually wants good information. Yeah. So he actually wants to know and, and, and produce really good information and have good insight. Like he's yeah. just a very 
nice, pleasant person to like at least listen to on a podcast. Yeah. And then when I listened to his, his stand up, it was like, Jesus, like, tone it down, cowboy. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, coming out guns blazing, like, you're Sam Kennison. Like, yeah. take it down. Like, is that who you are? That's the show you want to produce? Like, yeah. Okay, well, hats off to you if that's what you want to do. I don't care. It's right. just. That seems wildly contradictive of you know the thing that you actually wanted to do. Yeah, but, you know. agreed. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you very much, Misha, for joining to talk to me tonight about this. Yeah, absolutely, uh, my pleasure. I I love talking about stand up and comedy in general, and uh, yeah, watch yeah. it again sometime soon. Yeah, I hope so. That is going to wrap it up for today's show. Thank you again so much to Misha for joining the the pod to talk about comedy. Uh, Like I said in the show, it's something that I could talk about endlessly. If you guys have any comments or questions or anything you'd like to to hear us talk about on the show, by all means, email me at walker at thewalkshowpodcast.com. You can also check us out at Twitter at The Walk Show Pod, Facebook, The Walk Show Podcast, Instagram, The Walk Show. Uh, We're everywhere, so find us and... uh, get updates on on new shows and all that kind of stuff thanks again so much for listening have a good one